1: Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? Did you know that most Christians are not really saved? Now, I know you think you are. I mean, that's, that, that's neither, neither here nor there. I mean, I know that you think you are, but de- deep down, you know something's missing. Your religion seems empty. It seems unreal, and it seems God seems far, far away. Let me tell you something, misplaced confidence And a false conversion is dangerous. It's deadly. And it is one's vanity, it is our ego and vanity that keeps a person from admitting they've never really been converted in the first place. No, our ego will not let us go there. Our vanity will not let us go there. Are you willing to face the possibility that you have never really been converted? Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Let me ask you that question. Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Your Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, let me tell you, if you hesitated, if you said, well, uh, well, I think I do. Well, I hope I do. Well, yeah, I think I have the Spirit. Let me just inform you, you don't have it. The Spirit of God, when you have it, it is something that you absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have, that you are being, not only do you have, but that you are being led by the Spirit of Christ. You must have Christ's Spirit in you or you are not a Christian and you have never been converted. You must know what sin is. Most religious people can't tell you the definition of sin. Sin is, 1 John 3, 4, the breaking of God's law. So if you, if you didn't know that, in other words, if you don't know what, sin, what you are doing that sent your Savior to the cross to die for you, you're not saved and you've never been converted. So do you have the Spirit of Christ? And do you know what the end results of being led by the Spirit of God. What is the end results of being led by the Spirit of God? Let me tell you the end results of it. It is obedience to the law of God. It really is. Now, I want to look at the world's definition of a Christian. Let me tell you the world's definition of a Christian. It is nice. Yeah, nice. He's so nice. And she's nice, too. They must be a Christian. You know, if you ride the elevator up to the 11th floor while someone is stepping on your toes and say nothing, people will think you're a Christian. Why? Stepped on that person's foot all the way up to the 11th floor and they didn't say a word. That's got to be a Christian right there. I'm telling you. You know, if you approve of your church ordaining homosexual priests into the ministry in the name of tolerance, you're just nice. You know, we've got to be nice to these people. I mean, that's just, look, uh, we just need to be nice. Why, next week, Joe's going to marry his horse. You know, but we've got to be nice. It's just a little weird in that area, but, you know, just a different preference there. But we've got to be nice, nice. In the name of tolerance, we know we just love Jesus so much we tolerate anything because we're so nice. That's the world's definition of a Christian. Be nice and people will think you're a Christian. Be nice and shut up also. Don't say anything. Just be nice. Don't open your mouth. Just be nice and people will think that you're a Christian. Now, what is the world's definition of a Christian? What is the world's definition of a Christian? You know, it's a person who just believes he has a sort of a sticky sentimental attitude of niceness and and goodness and faith and belief and I know I love Jesus, I've always loved Jesus, I've always been a Christian. You know, it's and that's basically it. That's the world's definition of a Christian. Just, Just niceness. It really is. Now, what is God's definition of a Christian? Are you ready? Are you ready to face the answer to that question? What is God's definition of a Christian? Revelation 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now let me tell you something. False churches will tell you there is no way which you personally can keep God's commandment. That's what false churches will tell you. They'll tell you, there ain't no way to do it. You can't do it. False churches teaches that Christ kept God's law for you. And all you have to do to be saved is just to believe that he did, that he kept God's law for you, and accept him as your savior. That's all you gotta do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm gonna tell you, you will never hear Jesus' words spoken at your local church there was a rich man that came to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. You're not going to hear. Why will you not hear that at church? If you will enter into life, keep the commandments. That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. But you're never going to hear that at church. My question is why? Why will you never hear those words quoted at your church from the Bible, from Jesus' mouth? Why? Why is it that all you hear at church is just believe? Why? There's nothing you must do. Why is that what you hear at your church? Grace plus nothing. Why is that all you hear at your church? Just believe and receive. Why is that all you hear at your church? Jesus said, think not that I've come to destroy the law. Guess what everybody thinks? He came to destroy the law. The law's been abolished. The law's been nailed to the cross. That's what you hear at the church. The law's been fulfilled. You hear just the opposite of what Jesus said. The churches of this world have a dead faith, which is mere belief in Christ, without obedience to God. Without obedience to God. 1 John 2 and verse 4 says, He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him there's a lot of you religious people you've been living a lie your church has been living a lie millions of people believe they are saved they 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 have believed on Jesus but are not saved because they refuse to obey God how important is obedience to God how important is obedience to God. Let's take a look at how important it is. Hebrews 5 and verse nine, speaking of Jesus, and, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not, you know, this is not, I'm not quoting David Freeman, you know, one, verse one, chapter five and verse one. I'm not, you know, this, this is your Bible here. It says that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Do you fit into that category? Do you, does your church fit into that category? Are you like many thousands of others who have made their decision for Christ and have given yourself to him to be saved without any further effort on your part? You just thought, well, I just, okay, I I, I accept Jesus into my heart, and that's it. That's it. Nothing else from that point. Nothing, Nothing else God expects. That's all he wanted is just for you to raise your hand. You've been deceived. You have been deceived. God says this kind of repentance is totally unacceptable and will end in death. If you don't have the Spirit of God, You're not a Christian, and you're not converted. How important is having the Holy Spirit of God? Acts 5 and verse 32. Breaking into the middle of the verse here, it says, And so is also the Holy Spirit whom God has given to them that obey him. Who does God give his spirit to? Does God give his spirit to a person who says, I accept Jesus into my heart. I love the Lord. Uh, Jesus, I love you. No. It says, God gives his spirit to them that obey him. You have been duped by religion. You've been lied to because you have come to a point to where you believe obedience is not important. You've come to a point where all you believe is that you just give your hand to the preacher and your heart to the Lord, and that's it. You've been lied to about the Bible. is what I'm saying. Yes you you have been you who are listening you have been lied to about the Bible you've been told that we're not under the old that, that we're not under the old covenant we're under the new covenant and under the new covenant nothing is required of us at all nothing well let's blow that idiotic concept out of the water right now eight, uh, Hebrews eight and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, I will write them into their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now let me ask you a question. Does this sound like the new covenant dismisses the law of God? Does this sound like God's desire is to abolish His law, when he says under the new covenant, I'm going to write my laws into their hearts, into their minds. You know, the asinine teaching that the new covenant dismisses the law of God is just that. It's an asinine teaching. It's an issue of locality. It's an issue where the law of God is at now. Before, it was written on stone, supervised by men, supervised by the church and church authority. Now, the law is internal, written upon the hearts of men. Does that mean you don't have to obey it? Well, it's written there, but I don't pay any attention to it, but it's written there. What kind of idiotic kind of thinking is that? My point is, you've been lied to the, about the Bible. You've been, you sit in church, and you've been told that okay, the old, we're not under the old covenant, and under the new covenant, there's really nothing. I mean, um, well, let's see, what is there to do? Is there anything to do? Well, there is a couple things, and I'm going to come to that just in just in a minute here. But I'm telling you, the false church. There was a false church. The developmental stage of the false church is back in Jude 1 and verse 3. Let's take a look at that. Jude 1 and verse 3. Behold, when I gave uh, gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let me tell you something. This is not what you have today. The faith that was once delivered To the saints, you have, listen to me, listen, what is coming across today is a counterfeit message. It's a message that denies the fact that obedience is important, that God expects you to obey him. You know, it's almost like if you tell a person that you obey God, you're looked at as you're almost looked at by other religious people as worse than a drunkard or worse than a fornicator or something. You mean you're trying to obey God's law? Oh, that's salvation by works. What are you doing trying to obey God? That's a a sin to try to obey God. You can't do that. Don't you know you can't do that? You can't obey God. That's, That's the mentality that a lot of religious people have toward people like myself that try to obey God. Not saying that I'm perfect at it at all. I'm just saying I understand God expects you to obey Him. That's what I'm saying. Well, anyway, in Jude 1 and verse 4, tells the problem that occurred back then, and it's still going on today. For there are certain men crept in unaware, you know, they're called preachers who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying because they've done this, they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, because they've done this, they have actually denied the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, what is lasciviousness? It is basically turning the grace of God into a license to sin. Now, it's subtle, folks. It doesn't doesn't happen overnight. It's like the frog in hot water that you you keep cutting up the heat, cutting up the heat, and the frog will eventually die. It's very subtle what is going on. But there's this illusion out there among religious people that, you know, grace its just sort of a license to sin, you know. I just, the more I grace I get, I just sin and I ask for forgiveness and that's it, you know. And your minister doesn't come across and say, let's disobey God. No, it doesn't work, work like that. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. It's like the proverbial frog in hot water. But let me ask you a question. How have you come to believe that obedience is not important? How can you go to church and believe that? How can you read your Bible and believe that? How can you study the uh, the Word of God? How can you be in a Bible study, a study group, and come to the point where you think obedience is not important to God? Now, the false church will tell you that Jesus uh, said there's only two two commandments that we have to do. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's take a look at that, Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse, Verse 39. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me tell you something. This is not two new commandments. You understand what I'm saying? It's not two new commandments where God comes, Jesus comes along and says, uh, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and you figure out how to do that. Whatever you decide is okay with me. You know, if you just want to say, I love you, Jesus, that's enough. That's enough. That's all you got to do. You just decide how to love me. You just decide how to love your neighbor. You know, if you think you need to steal something from your neighbor, well, okay, go ahead and do it. and uh, You decide how to do it. No, no. This is a summation, a summary of the Ten Commandments. That's all Jesus is saying. He's just giving a summary of the Ten Commandments. The first four tells you how to love God. No other gods, no idols, don't take my name in vain, keep my Sabbath day. The last six of the commandments tell us how to love our fellow man. This is all this is. It's just a summary, a summation of the Ten, he's just summarizing the Ten Commandments. He's not coming up with two new commandments. It's a summary of the Ten Commandments. You know, many of you have only experienced an emotional response to what you thought was the gospel. Okay, you've experienced an emotional response, and you thought it was the gospel. The question God will never ask you is, well, what do you feel about me? How do you feel about me? You felt like you loved me? Okay, that's good enough. No, real salvation starts with the intellect it's up here. Intellectually, it's where it starts. You have to know that you are a sinner, and that involves intelligence. It's not some kind of superficial response to sin. I saw on Facebook, you know, just recently, someone posted something, and it was a, a group of people in a restaurant, and, they, and uh, some men and women started singing "Amazing Grace," and the cook came out and got saved because he, because he, uh, she heard them singing and. She started crying, raised her hand up in the air, and she got saved. No, no. Listen to me. Real salvation begins with the intellect. First of all, you've got to know what sin is. 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law. You've got to specifically know what you're doing that caused Christ to die. Now, once you know that, you can you can have an emotional response. You will be all broken up once you realize my sins sent Jesus to the cross. If 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 I were the only person alive on planet Earth, just you, just you and your glory, you're the only person that ever existed. Jesus Christ would have still come to this earth and died for you and you alone. That's what you got to come to. You have to understand what your sins, what you did that sent Christ to the cross to die for you. Now, once you understand that, you will have an emotional response. You will be all broken up. But that's the way it works. What I'm saying is you don't start with the emotional response just because you hear somebody singing Amazing Grace, just because you, you shed a few tears and you felt bad about uh, the premarital sex the night before or whatever. you know. And now you're that doesn't mean anything. You don't start there with the emotional response. You start with the intellect and knowing what is sin and being broken up about your sins. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with the intellect. And there's a lot of churches that just focus on that intellect, that, not the intellectual, but they fo- they focus on that emotional response. That's all it's about. It's the music. It's the, you know, the pablum message that really doesn't say much. It just sort of, you know, you sort of feel guilty, and it's some beautiful music, and uh, you start shedding some tears and you come down to the altar and you give your hand to the preacher and your heart to the Lord and then from there, there's nothing left. You know, there's no, nothing else is expected from me. Yeah, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. Starts with the intellect. Real salvation. Now, how can you identify a real Christian? We're going to look at a verse that tells us how to identify a real Christian. Revelation 12 and verse 17. Revelation 12 and verse 17. 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now notice this, the remnant. The church of God is referred to as a seed, a remnant. It's not the majority. It's not the masses. And the devil goes after this remnant of people, which, notice this, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm giving you right now, the testimony of Jesus Christ, that God expects you to obey him, that God expects you to keep his Ten Commandments. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. That's the reason Christ died for you, because you were a sinner and you broke God's law. You broke the Ten Commandments, and you got to turn from your sins, accept Christ as your personal Savior, go down in the waters of baptism, receive the Holy Spirit of God, and start living a life of being an overcomer. That through the power of God's Holy Spirit, you start putting sin out of your life. That's what God wants, because God expects obedience. And it's not nine commandments, by the way. It's 10 commandments, okay? 10 commandments. You know, the church that Jesus built is a commandment-keeping church. Did you know that? Jesus did not build his church on a foundation of lies. Lies about the covenant of God, lies about there's nothing you must do, just believe, just receive, it's all been done for you, lies about the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, we don't have to do any of that stuff. We're not under the old covenant, we're under the new, and under, under the new covenant, there's not a thing expected from us. Jesus Christ did not build his church on a foundation of lies. And I'm telling you, there is a lot of lies out there when it comes to religion. Now, it's very subtle, it's very subtle the church that Jesus built. The true church obeys the commandments of God. And my question again is this, because I know a lot of you, you've been in church a long time. You look at yourself as a very spiritual person. You look at yourself as a very religious person. I think you mean well, yes. Your heart means well. But here's the bottom line. how My question to you is this. How have you been led to believe that obedience is not important? Your arguments against this message will be because you have been led to, you will disagree with me because you have been led to for the past 40 years to believe that obedience is not important. That's where your argument is going to come from. You're going to start arguing this stuff. You're going to start saying, but, 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 the Bible says this. And you're going to proof text and you're going to take scriptures out of context, you know, and, and say, well, that's not right. But, that, but, but the reason you want to argue is because you, for the past 40 years, have been led to believe that obedience to God is just not that important. You've been lied to about the Bible. You know, the law of God is what makes your life work. I don't know why people look at it as a bad thing. I really do. I don't understand it. I do not understand why people would even argue with a message like this. Because the law of God is what makes our lives work. It, it, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's not what saves you. You're saved by grace. Okay. But not the hearers or the law are going to be justified in God's eyes. But the doers come into a position to be justified by God's grace. They're not justified by the law, they're gonna be justified by God's grace. But it is only the doers of the law that come into a position to be justified by God's grace. You can't just be a hearer of the law. You gotta be a doer. You gotta be a doer. Because that reveals the true person, where your heart's really at. My question again is this, How have you been led to believe that obedience is not important? And I wanna tell you, I'll give you the answer. Your church led you to believe that. And if that describes you, you've never been converted and you're not really saved. And that's what's really in the Bible.
0: Statistics say that 84% of Americans believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ and 74 percent confess commitment to him. Yet America continues the downward spiral towards corruption and immorality. Why has Christianity not worked? With each generation, we seem to go deeper and deeper into the sins that plague our society. In this publication, you will find many articles that will clearly answer the question, why religion will not save America. In the end, you may not like the answer but the answer has always been there, in the pages of your Bible. Order your free copy of Will Religion Save America? Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151 if you would like a free dvd recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones write to church of god rocky mount 27 brookledge lane rocky mount virginia 24151 that's church of god rocky mount 27 brookledge lane rocky mount virginia 24151 and be sure to mention the title of this program This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.